Hello everyone and welcome to Emerging Trends in Higher Ed. My name is Samantha Wilcox and I am your moderator for this podcast series. Joining us today is Dr. Claire Mays, Assistant Program Director in the Department of Nursing in NCU School of Health Sciences. Thanks for joining us today, Claire. Oh, thank you for having me. I, I look forward to this podcast. Absolutely. Um, Dr. Mays is here to discuss nursing, past and present. Let's jump in. So, Dr. Mays, uh, can you tell me a little bit about how uh, Florence Nightingale um, impacted healthcare in the 19th century? Well, as everyone knows, Florence Nightingale is the founder of modern nursing. She also was the first nursing theorist and is also noticed, uh, known as the lady with the lamp. Um, she was an upper class British woman who captured the imagination of a group of public persona as she led a group of female nurses to the Crimea in October of 1854. She wanted to deliver the nursing care to the British soldiers. So upon her return to England, Nightingale successfully established nursing education programs in a number of British hospitals. These schools were organized around a specific set of ideas about how nurses should be educated and often referred to as the Nightingale principles of ventilation, warmth, diet, and cleanliness. And they are integral parts of nursing care today. Wow, what an impact she made. Now, now, when did the paradigm change from the family and neighbors taking care of the sick to hospital care? Well, by the beginning of the 19th century, urbanization and industrialization changed the way in which many of the places in which sick individuals received the care. Hospitals began to proliferate to serve those who were without resources to provide their own care, as such as neighbors and family members who would come into the home and take care of them. Well, now people weren't having as many family members, so hospitals started to increase in numbers, and so did the demand for caregivers who would be able to deliver the thoughtful care to these patients. So in the early 19th centuries, hospitals were built you know, more uh, in more populated sections of the country, generally uh, in large cities like London that had the most population. Nursing care in these institutions, though, differed enormously. In hospital operated by religious nursing orders, patients received very high quality care. But in institutions, nursing care was more variable, ranging from good in some hospitals to haphazard and poor in others. Wow. Now, when did the first nurses training begin? Okay. Recognizing the importance of good nursing care to a patient's well-being, some physicians initiated courses for those interested, you know, those women interested in nursing. Because basically back then it was a woman's profession. In 1798, though, Valentine Seaman, a New York physician, organized an early course lectures for women who cared for maternity patients. As early as 19th century program, the Nursing Society of Philadelphia, also referred to Nursing Charity of Philadelphia, trained women in caring for mothers during childbirth and postpartum period. Now, its founder, Dr. Joseph Warrington, authored the first nursing textbook in 1839 called The Nurse's Guide, containing a series of instruction to females who wish to engage in the important business of nursing mother and child in the lying-in chamber. Pretty long name for a book. But this publication, uh, with each nursing society, each nurse received a copy of this, and that proved the very first example 
of a nursing practice text. So between 1839 and 1850, the Nurse Society employed about 50 nurses establishing an early practice of engaging care for patients in the home. However, with the outbreak of the Civil War, this created an immediate need for capable nurses to care for enormous number of sick and wounded. About 20,000 women and men, men, not very many, but men went into uh, nursing in the Civil War period, served as nurses in both the North and the South. The commendable service rendered by Civil War nurses provided a rationale for future experiments in setting up training programs for nursing. One such program was initiated in Pennsylvania, where the Women's Hospital of Philadelphia offered six months nurses training course and graduated its first class in 1869. So that was the very beginning of nursing training. Wow, you mentioned textbooks and education. Uh, what was the forerunner of professional nursing education? Well, in the year 1873, the American professional nursing history is in that year, three educational programs, the New York Training School at Bellevue Hospital, the Connecticut Training School at the State Hospital, later renamed New Haven Hospital, and the Boston Training School at Massachusetts General Hospital began operation. So there we have three new nursing programs, all based on the ideas advanced by Florence Nightingale. Don't forget her ventilation, diet, warmth all generally acknowledged to be the forerunners of organized professional nursing education in the United States. So it started back in 1873. Now we're really moving ahead here. The success of the first three so-called Nightingale schools led to the proliferation of similar nursing schools, or as they were most commonly called, nursing training programs. So by the 1900s, somewhere between 400 and 800 schools of nursing were in operation in the United States. These programs followed a fairly typical pattern. The school was either affiliated with or owned by a hospital that provided students with clinical experience considered necessary for the education of the nurse. Students received two or three years of training while in the program, students carried out the majority of patient care activities offered in the hospital. So they were actually the ones delivering the patient care on the floor. And those were called the diploma nurses. So after they graduated, at the end of their program, students received a diploma and they were eligible to seek work as a trained nurse. However, while many disparaged the exploitive nature of the nurse education system, the presence of trained nurses with the emphasis on cleanliness, orderliness, and close observation of patients successfully transformed hospitals into scientific institutions of caring. So now these hospitals... We're becoming more like the hospitals we know today. Further, the popularity of the schools testified to the profession's appeal as an excellent occupation in which to carve out a career. And again, women didn't have many uh, options back in those days. Schools did improve over time. Better oversight of nursing educational programs by state licensing boards, as well as increasing complex demands of patient care led to the schools to increase the amount of theoretical or didactic instruction and decrease the amount of direct work performed by the students on these hospital floors. So now the students were getting more uh, didactic education in the classroom, less clinical on the floor, 
and not being used as the labor for the hospital. Wow, the profession really has come a long way. Um, Now, when did they organize into professional associations? Yes, nursing has come a long way and it's still going, believe me. As the number of nurses grew in the late 19th century, nursing took on the rudimentary characteristics of a profession. In the 1890s, however, nurses organized two major professional associations. One was called the American Society of Superintendents of Training Schools for Nurses, later renamed the National League of Nursing Education, which we have today. And then the second one was the Associated Alumni of the United States, later renamed the American Nurses Association, which is our biggest association in nursing here in the United States. Other organizations, such as the National Organization for Colored Graduate Nurses and the National Organization for Public Health Nursing, formed in the early 20th, early 20th century. State nurses associations also organized and were instrumental in passing state nursing registration acts, which regulated and provided a licensing system for the nursing practice. The successful passage of the Nursing Registration Acts considered a significant legislative accomplishment at a time when women held very little political power and also provided nurses with the modern legal title, Registered Professional Nurse, or RN. So that's when that happened. But these changes improved and reformed many aspects of the nursing training system, but problems remained Reflecting the social and legal status of the African-Americans at the time, American professional nursing maintained strict racial segregation until the mid-20th century. African-American individuals wanting to become nurses had to train in a separate educational system and faced a divided employment field in which white and black nurses did not participate equally. Nursing also remained a predominantly female profession with a few schools admitting men but most schools refused to admit them. And that even happened uh, more into the 20th century too, that uh, nursing schools did not want to admit men. And now men are very prolific in our profession. That's excellent. Now we talked a lot about the opportunities, um, but what are some of the challenges for nurses or what were some of the challenges for nurses after graduation? Well, employment conditions for nurses also presented challenges, like you said. In the early part of the 20th century, hospitals employed only a few graduate nurses, mainly in supervisory positions. They relied instead on the student nurses for the majority of the bedside care, you know, providing to the patients. Most nurses, once they graduated from their educational program, entered a field of private duty nursing. So the hospitals had a few supervisory nurses, and then the nurses that graduated entered private duty. Private duty nurses were employed by individual patients primarily in their homes. As institutions became more normative site for delivery of patient care, private nurses moved with their patients into the hospital, delivering care to the hospitalized individual. But it was very expensive and there were limited uh, employment opportunities because it was very expensive. But private duty often did not provide regular dependable employment. Nurses were hired on an ad hoc basis by patients who were oftentimes without a regular source of income. The cost of private duty was very high, limiting the number of patients employing private duty nurses. So nurses weren't getting regular um, employment. 
It was not until the mid-20th century that hospitals hired nurses as regular staff on a permanent basis, providing full professional nursing services to all hospital patients. As you see today, you have staff nurses and supervisory nurses working on the hospital floors. Wow. Now, when did nursing really come into its profession? Despite the many difficulties within the profession, nursing continued to grow as an occupational field and became recognized as an essential healthcare service by the early 20th century. Nurses fanned out into diverse fields, delivering uh, services to many people outside of the hospital. So now we moved inside the hospitals. Now we're moving back out of the hospitals. For example, William Wall founded the Henry Street Settlement House in 1893, which provided nursing and other social services to impoverished populations on the Lower East Side of New York City. Replication of Wall's work <clears throat> in other parts of the country led to the growth of the field of public health nursing, opening up new employment opportunities for nurses and expanding the type of service provided by nurses. So now, as time goes on, you can see where we're in the hospital, back out of the hospital, and new, new professions are opening up. Nursing is one profession, many careers. At the onset of World War I, <clears throat> but this created a really critical demand for the special skills of nurses. So about 23,000 American nurses served in the military, delivering care to the armed forces both in the United States and at the war front. The success of military nurses in providing this essential care during the war ensured their participation in succeeding conflicts. At home, nurses continued to provide the essential care to the civilian population. So with these special skills possessed by the nurses were easily transferred to the field of health care. For example, nurses were educated to administer anesthesia during surgery, leading to the specialty field of nurse anesthetists, which we have today. By the early 20th century, it was quite common to find nurse anesthetists delivering anesthesia in many of the nation's hospitals. By the 1920s, in some parts of the country, nurse midwives were delivering babies, in many cases, to the most impoverished populations. And that's exactly how we got the ARNPs, Advanced Registered Nurse Practitioners. And we'll talk about that a little later as well. But they augment the physicians and care for more rural areas. During the 1920s and 30s, however, hospitals continued to expand, adding more and more patient beds and delivering care that was rapidly becoming more complex. Nurses were the most essential ingredient in ensuring that patients received that component of care delivered in a safe manner. Hospitals continued to rely heavily on student nurses for patient care, but a trend emerged in which hospital hired more nurses, initially called general duty nurses, or later referred to as staff nurses. And by the 1950s, staff nursing was the main occupational field. Wow, I love hearing about this history. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the mid-20th century nursing education? When the United States entered World War II, don't forget, we were in World War I, so now our nurses entered World War II. And nurses duplicated the excellent works they performed in World War I taking critical positions in the armed services and ensuring that military received appropriate care. About 78,000 nurses served in World War II, their contributions acknowledged as an essential part to victory. The post-World War II era posed new challenges for the profession. 
while the modern intensive care health system that emerged after the war demanded larger number of nurses to handle the increasingly complex and technical needs of patients. There seemed to be fewer young women, the majority of their population, which nursing drew its recruits from, were not willing to choose nursing as a career. Nursing image took on a heroic cast during the war, but the reality for most nurses was that the work was incredibly demanding with few financial rewards and poor working conditions. Nursing failed to keep up economically with other occupations. Severe shortages of nurses characterized by an immediate post-war period threatening the delivery of health services to the public. And at the same time, internal debates within the profession over the type of work in which nurses should emerge and the proper way to educate a nurse divided nurses into different camps. Some educators and other healthcare analysts promoted removing nursing education from its base within the hospital training schools and placing it in institutions of higher education. So they wanted to take nursing out of the hospitals and put them in universities. By 1960, though, approximately 172 college-based nursing education programs awarded Bachelor of Science in nursing degrees. These experts believed baccalaureate education would be better prepared for the complex needs of the 20th century patients and would be able to take on more advanced roles in the delivery of healthcare. And we still think that today. I haven't quite gotten there yet, but we're still there today. Proponents of the traditional hospital-based diploma programs disagreed, arguing that nurses trained in the hospital programs excelled at delivering bedside care, the major area in which nurses worked at that time. So nurses were still mainly in the hospital. But before the debate was settled, one way or the other, a new educational program centered in two-year community college emerged. So community college-based programs, also known as the associate degree programs, seem to offer the best of both worlds. Educations took place in an institution of higher education, and the demands of patient care did not intrude on the learning process as often occurred in diploma programs. Graduates of community college programs seemed well-suited to assume employment as hospital bedside nurses. Further, the ability of community college programs to graduate larger numbers of Nurses offered potential respite from the repeated nursing shortages because we were having nursing shortages and now the community colleges were cranking out the nurses to fill these nursing shortages. And of course, there's another nurse, there's another challenge as well. The community college movement only achieved partial success. Community college programs did graduate many new nurses, at off, often at a lower cost than the traditional diploma programs. But as the needs of the late 20th century patients became increasingly more complex, research studies indicated that being treated by nurses prepared at the baccalaureate level improved patient outcomes, and that we still see today. Wow, thank you so much for that. Now, you've touched on this, uh, but how has nursing evolved into modern nursing? Despite disagreements among nurses about the appropriate type and place of nursing education programs, profession itself flourished in the late 20th century. In the mid-20th century, however, nursing abandoned its objectionable system of racial and gender discrimination, opened up equal opportunities, educational, professional, and employment opportunities to all nurses. So now all that segregation is all gone and everybody is now brought together. So we have males, females, and all cultural diversity that you can think of in the nursing profession. 
So beginning in the 1960s, new types of nurses who specialize in different hospital uh, settings, such as intensive care units, the nurse practitioners who train to deliver a, var- a variety of primary care services began to appear on the healthcare scene. The emergence of these advanced practice nurses enabled hospitals and other healthcare facilities to deliver more efficient, less costly, and safer care services. Today, nurse practitioners, clinical nurse specialists, and other specialty area nurses are well-established and carry out a significant portion of healthcare activities. So let's get back to the nursing education. Nursing education also thrived in the later half of the 20th century. Significant federal financial support for educating nurses, which became available beginning in the 1960s, permitted the revamping and modernization of many nursing educational programs. Significantly increased funding for nursing research permitted nursing to develop a sounder scientific basis for its practice. So, but nursing is an art and a science. Nurse researchers today carry out cutting edge studies that shed light on the ways and means of solving many healthcare problems and improving nursing services. As 20th century continued, the nursing profession faces many challenges. Periodic shortage of nurses continue to occur, and a lasting solution to maintaining an adequate supply of nurses remains elusive. As the baby boomer generation ages, larger number of older Americans, may, and with the increased larger number of Americans, may strain the healthcare system and require increased services and will continue to test the nursing profession's ability to maintain high caliber of care that meets contemporary societal needs. So historically, the nursing profession has consistently demonstrated its ability to adapt to the changing and varying healthcare needs. It remains an exceedingly popular and highly respected profession that attracts a large numbers of recruits into its ranks. There is little doubt that nursing is will continue to maintain its status as an extremely important profession serving the healthcare needs of the nation. So, like I said before, we have men, women, and lots of cultural diversity in nursing now to serve our culturally diverse population. Absolutely. Now, we've talked a lot about the history, um, but where is the future of nursing headed? For years, healthcare experts have envisioned a future in which nurses would be able to achieve their full potential as students, as practitioners, as leaders, and in doing so, improve the nation's health and healthcare. That future is already here. Thanks to the national campaign working to implement recommendations from a landmark nursing report issued by the Institute of Medicine. The future of nursing profession is on the horizon in Vermont, where the governor has created a commission to ensure that nurses are able to serve as full partners in the state's healthcare system. It's becoming a reality in Texas and Wisconsin, where new initiatives are making it easier for more nurses to pursue higher education. And it's arriving in New York, where nurse advocates are coming together to curb shortage of nursing faculty. And in New Jersey, where where nursing champions are working to place nurses on government boards. In Indiana, New Hampshire, and Rhode Island, meanwhile, new programs are promoting interprofessional education that includes nursing and medical students. The Future of Nursing Campaign for Action, an initiative of AARP and the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, is working to transform healthcare through nursing. One of the many ways it is doing is by working with leaders in 
the 50 states to develop a strategy to increase nursing education levels using existing community colleges and university systems more efficiently. Another way is by revising employer policies to support the academic progression. And that's where we are headed. Incredible. Thank you so much for sharing um, really a lot of the history um, of the profession, um, as well as where where it's headed. It's really exciting times. We really appreciate uh, your time today, Dr. Mays. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to be here, and I love nursing. I've been a nurse for 45 years. I've seen lots of changes, and we are headed in the right direction. That's the best. Well, in the coming weeks, we'll be exploring additional topics with the NCU community, so be sure to check back for new episodes. On behalf of Dr. Claire Mays, this is Samantha Wilcox reminding you that at NCU, you have what it takes to change the world. We offer what it takes to make it happen. Until next time, goodbye.